Uh, Exodus 2, 11 through 25. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat my bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses' daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And this is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the other cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in this moment that you would do the thing, Lord, that only you can do. Lord, it is the thing that you have promised to do. Lord, it is the thing that we have trusted you for, Lord, all these Sundays together. And that is, by the power of your spirit, that you would shine light on these words that are in your word, that you make them alive, Lord, to the end that they would be used to great effect in our hearts and in our souls. So that's our prayer. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So two weeks ago in our, I guess three weeks ago in our first um, sermon in the book of Exodus, by way of introduction, I brought you song lyrics from Bob Dylan. Last week, I brought you song lyrics from a hymn writer, William Cooper. So this morning, I thought I'd go three for three, and I bring you some song lyrics from a kid's song that you might recognize, especially if you've grown up in church. And by the way, as I share these lyrics with you, you can, be, you can feel free to join in with me. Um, here, here's the way the song goes. It goes, my God is so 
so strong and so there's nothing my God cannot do. And, th and then it repeats. It actually repeats. And then it goes and it says all that again, but as someone just hinted at, the very last line, it says something slightly different. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the stars are his handiwork. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do in the last two words. And it's those last two words that change that from a song that's just not that great to a song that contains all of our hope. See, John Calvin, the Protestant reformer, often wrote about the fact that it would give no comfort, no comfort, to know of a big and strong and mighty God who can do anything. I mean, the gods of Egypt, as we will see in this story, are big and strong and mighty, and they can do lots of things. See, all of our hope lies in the fact that this God who is big and strong and mighty and can do anything is inclined to do things on behalf of his people. This is a theme we'll begin to see in this book of Exodus that I wanna introduce you to this morning. See, the gods of Egypt, the God of the Nile, the God of the sun, the God of the cows, they don't care about you. But it's the God of the Bible who is inclined to the cries of his people. He hears them, he sees them, he remembers them, he knows them. And of course, in that is all of our hope. So here's the main thing I want you to hear this morning if you don't hear anything else that I say. The main thing I want you to hear this morning is that the God of the Bible, the living Lord who's revealed in this Exodus story, is utterly different and unique because he has a concern for his people. So the way I want to show you that, that he's utterly distinct and different because of his concern for his people, the way I wanna show you that is first I wanna just recap our story. Recap our story so far in the book of Exodus and specifically recap what happens in the life of Moses up until this point. And then the second part of the sermon, I really want to just dwell on these four verbs that we see in verses uh, 24 and 25. The verb that God heard, the verb that God remembered, the verb that the Lord saw, and the verb that the Lord knows. I want to talk about what the Bible means when it says that God hears or remembers or sees or knows. And then in the third part, the final part, I want to just ask you two questions. So let's begin with something of a recap. Now, if you remember in this story so far, God's people are multiplying and increasing. See, it was always the promise that God had made to Abram, who became Abraham, that he would be the father of a great nation of people, more numerous than the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And all of those promises are coming true, but they're coming true in this very strange way. The strange way is they're coming true in Egypt of all places. 
And of course, the promises of God being fulfilled is a direct confrontation and threat to Pharaoh, the king over Egypt. And he begins to feel threatened. He says, well, they'll increase in number and perhaps they'll join an army and fight against us. So here's what we'll do. We'll enslave all of them. We'll put on them very heavy burdens. Their life will be bitter, but we're told they just kept increasing because God's promises cannot be stopped. And we saw that the call to the people of Israel throughout this story will be to move from the heavy service under the heavy, bitter hand of Pharaoh to the life-giving service of obedience to the Lord because that is what freedom means. Freedom, the way the Bible describes it, is freedom to obey the Lord. That's real freedom. And we learn that the Pharaoh is even all the more threatened. So this time he wants to command midwives to kill male sons in particular. And the midwives, in faithfulness, refuse his orders. And Pharaoh becomes even more threatened. And he says to throw them all in the Nile. But what we saw is even though Pharaoh's plans are murderous and maniacal and evil, that the Lord in a hidden way is at work, never not working, to turn all of Pharaoh's plans exactly upside down. So much so that a male baby is actually put into the Nile. But he floats to safety and becomes the deliverer over Israel. In other words, Pharaoh, the Nile trick didn't work out like you thought it would, did it? And then in this section you just heard Brad read, we get a picture of the in-between from Moses having been drawn out of the water into Pharaoh's house into how he actually became the deliverer guy. And it's interesting because what we get is a picture of this internal conflict inside of Moses. He's grown up in Pharaoh's house, so he's sort of grown up as something of an Egyptian leader of some kind, but he has a deep compassion for Hebrew people so much that he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he murders that Egyptian. But later he sees two Hebrews fighting and he goes to try to make peace in that situation, presumably, and they say to him, who made you a judge over us? They say, are you gonna murder us just like you murdered the Egyptian? And he realizes the word has gotten out and he has to flee and he flees off into the wilderness and there the Lord gives him a family. We learn that Moses is being readied for service to the Lord. That is the point of that story in the narrative to see Moses being prepared for service to the Lord. But then something interesting happens if you will look with me Verse 23, during those days, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. See, this Pharaoh who had these plans is now gone and perhaps a son of his now rules, but it's the story's way of showing you a new situation is unfolding and perhaps the Lord might be at work in a new way. And then in verse 24, it says, and God heard their groaning. 
and God remembered his covenant. The covenant he had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God saw the people of Israel. And fourthly, God knew. So let's unfold what these four verbs mean. This is the second part of the sermon. Verse 24, and God heard. See, the Lord is different and unique. See, when I say specifically to my children's cry, I heard you, what I tend to mean is something more like this and see if you can tell the difference in the tone of my voice. I heard you. It's, it's a tone of dismissal, like, I heard you. Stop asking me. See, in this case, the Lord's response is different. See, to, to hear in the biblical sense, when the Lord hears throughout the pages of the scriptures, both in the book of Genesis here in Exodus, and as it will continue to travel on throughout the pages of the Old Testament. When the Lord hears something, it means he is now responding to the thing he hears. So there's a place in the prophets where the Lord says, I heard and then I healed. It's him activating his concern for his people. Now, what about this second verb? It says, and God heard their groaning, and he remembered, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. See, it's not meant to, the Lord's different, he's unique. It's not meant to imply that he had forgotten them up until this moment. I can think of a time recently where I was supposed to be somewhere. I was supposed to be there at 4.30. Y'all, it didn't even cross my mind to go till 7.15. I'd forgotten. Think about this for a second. The Lord never has that happen. But throughout the pages of the scriptures, both even in the book of Genesis here in Exodus and as the story travels along in the Old Testament, when it says that God remembers, that the Lord remembers, it means that he's now going to work on the basis of all the things that he's promised. In other words, it's not that he just sort of thought, oh yeah, I did make promises to Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. No, it's saying, I made them promises and now I'm at work. I'm concerned for my people and I am on the move. There's a place in the prophets where it says that the Lord remembered and then he acted. And that's what's going on here. So he hears their groanings. He remembers his covenant. And then third, it says that God saw the people. Of Israel. How many of you, by show of hands, when you get a text message, will reply back, oops, just saw this? And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one, but when you write that, it wasn't true. 
In other words, it's not that the Lord somehow suddenly took notice because he always takes notice. It's that he is ready now to move toward with compassion. There's a place in the prophets where it says that the Lord saw and then he went on to show, show compassion for his people. So he hears their cries, he remembers his promises. He hears their cries because he's ready to respond. He remembers his promises because he's about to work on the basis of everything that he promised. And he sees, meaning he moves toward, toward them with compassion. And then finally, verse 25, God saw the people of Israel, he saw them. And then fourthly, God knew. And as you can imagine, the Lord, the living Lord of the Bible revealed to us in the scriptures It's not that he suddenly gained new information. As if he didn't know something, now all of a sudden he does know it. That's what you and I do. Sometimes we have to change course, we have to do something because new information has come to light that we did not previously know and now we have to do something. But when the Old Testament describes God's knowledge or even uses this word to know It means something more akin to sharing in the experience with. Like in other words, he's entering into concern for his people in a deep and intimate way. It's it's on a bigger scale, the same thing you and I do when we talk to a friend perhaps and they tell us about a particular struggle and you say to them, man, I know. You have experiential knowledge of what is being discussed there. In other words, the Lord is tied to his people relationally and he can have compassion on their sufferings. You see how the Lord is different, utterly unique and distinct because he has a concern for his people. Now, I would be remiss, okay? It would be a a dereliction of pastoral duty if I did not tell you that often when God hears, when he remembers, when he sees, when he knows, but specifically when he hears, remembers, and sees, it's not just comfort. Sometimes it's challenge to his people. And Lord says, it's not always sweet, it can be severe. We can think of a few particular, a few particular moments in this same book of Exodus. In chapter 32, later when this golden calf incident happens. I don't want to spoil too much of the story, but the people are going to be set free. They're going to wander around. They're gonna go across the Red Sea and they will begin to worship the Lord in a wrong way. And the Lord is incensed by it. And he specifically says to them, I heard you down there with the golden calf. See, it's a word of confrontation. 
Or there's a moment later when they wander in the wilderness for a long time in the book of Numbers where they're complaining and it says, and the Lord says, I heard you complaining and my anger was kindled against you. There's, there's, all the, there's so many examples in the prophets. In fact, the prophets are sort of long versions of what I'm about to describe. It is, it is God saying to his people through the prophets, I hear, I see. Do you not think I hear and see? I mean, you're worshiping me, you're singing songs, you're doing sacrifices, you're doing the whole deal, but your hearts are far from me, you're running after false gods, you're neglecting the poor among you, you're worshiping me all the while as if none of that's a big deal. I see that. I hear it. Of course, he remembers his promises, which is consequences for such disobedience. And that is what the people of Israel receive from his hand. See, one of the themes we're gonna see in this book of Exodus is that this Lord is glorious. And when the Bible uses the word glory, it means something like weight. He's weighty. In other words, he, in relationship with him, is not to be treated lightly. See, because God has concern for his people. It's just the overwhelming, the overwhelming message of the scriptures is that he has concern for his people. He's got concern for his people. And his people can harden their hearts. They can stiffen their neck will be the Bible's metaphor. And they will meet the consequences for that. But if they will turn, they will always, 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 always meet him in his mercy. They'll meet him in his mercy. Now, all of this stuff I'm explaining to you, of course, finds its yes and its amen in the person and work of Jesus. See, Jesus Christ is God's act. He is in human flesh, God's response to hearing and remembering and seeing and knowing the sufferings of his people. The scriptures teach us that at the right time, Christ came. He came as God's act. And you see Jesus walking around in the gospel stories and he sees. I can think of an example when there's a bleeding woman in the crowd and it, stops the scene and it says that Jesus saw her and he moved toward her with compassion. This is the same Jesus that the writer of the book of Hebrews will say is a sympathetic high priest able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. See, this character of God that's concerned for the sufferings of his people, that part of God's holy and righteous and utterly unique and distinct character that he's concerned for his people that is most fully revealed in the person of Jesus. But this is the same Jesus who will look at Pharisees and say, woe to you. 
because this God is concerned about his people. So finally, two questions for you. First of all, you might be here this morning and you need him to notice. Notice, take note, show concern for your particular situation. And I'm here this morning to simply declare to you that he does, that he hears your groaning, that he remembers his promises to you. They haven't fallen off of his calendar. I want you to hear me say really clearly, he sees, he does, he sees your struggle. Fourthly, he knows. He is a sympathetic high priest, able to sympathize with you in all your weaknesses. If you are here this morning and you just want the Lord to notice, to show concern, to hear, to remember, to see, I'm just announcing to you, he does. This is why it's such a good biblical prayer. It's such a good biblical set of prayers to say, God, would you hear me? Lord, would you remember me? Lord, would you see me? Or would you know me? Search me, O oh God, and know me, the psalmist says. So I guess the invitation to you, if you're here this morning, you need him to notice. I'm declaring to you that he does. And maybe the invitation is just to turn to him fresh this morning. Here's a second question. Now, you might be here this morning, and I have been there many times before. You might be here this morning, and honestly, you wish you could escape his notice. You know what I mean? And what I'm here to announce and declare to you is that you can't. I'm also here to declare to you when it's all said and done, you don't even want to. And praise God, you don't have to. In other words, you can turn and you will meet him in his mercy. Because this God, this Lord, shows concern for his people. Let's pray together.